Welcome everybody to the Apex Sunday podcast. We're hosted by two petrol heads, myself, John Dowsett, and Rob Ross. And this is the podcast that banters and rambles on about Formula One races, news, and events. Regarding the news, I only have two points, so it'll be very brief. I don't know if you have any. I don't know if there is any news really to talk about. Right. I really don't have any other than rumors. There was a rumor going around that George Russell was going to jump into Valtteri's seat. Mm -hmm. And then Toto came out and said, no, that's not the case. Right. And that was supposed to be this year, right? Mm -hmm. Like mid-season kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I I doubt Mercedes would do that. Red Bull's the only one who's done that, at least recently. Mm -hmm. The other thing I saw in the news was Grosjean gets his Mercedes ride at Magnicor on June 27th this year. So I don't know if you remember, they promised him a ride. So that's he's getting to ride last year's car at Magnicor. So it should be interesting to see what he has to say about that, especially since he's an IndyCar mm. at the moment. And then the second thing is the Red Bull hiring of 15 people from Mercedes for their new engine program. Again, not a surprise, is it? Mercedes had the top engine, so I imagine they went and poached who they could. What are they going to do? They've burnt all their ties with Renault. Yeah. Alpine is the only team running Renault engines right now, correct? Yes. Everyone else is Mercedes, Ferrari, or Honda. I wonder if Alpine will find another customer to distribute to. I don't know if it's an advantage to have more data. Absolutely. cars with your engine in it. Absolutely, it's a big help. Yeah. So I imagine they, they really want to do that as soon as possible. But yeah, other than that, it's only been a week since the last race, so not much to talk about in regards to news. And, you know, other than that rumor, we're not particularly the, uh, the rumor monger type, are we? No, but saying that after Valtteri's performance in the race... Mm-hmm. Well, I think he's gone for next season, not yeah, this season. And, oh, absolutely. The question is, yeah. is, is can, can he finish it? finish this year and i don't know whether he will or not after what he did it was very clear he was given very clear instructions that he did not follow right and lewis i haven't read the full statement but lewis is saying he had no issues with valtteri's conduct in the race it's once again a case of different people have different interpretations of the event and so forth but yeah i don't see him leaving the team until after the, the end of the season I think it's just easier for everyone involved. And he's still getting podiums. He's still scoring enough points. And he's definitely outscoring Pecco. Sorry, not Pecco. Checo. Checo. Checo, <laughs> right. Yeah. Pecco's in MotoGP. Checo's in uh, Formula One. All right, so should we move on to qualifying next? Absolutely. The biggest news is the century of poles 100 for Lewis Hamilton, which is not a surprise. Hmm. If we look at the historical numbers, we have Hamilton at the top at 100, Schumacher at 68, Senna at 65, Vettel at 57, Clark 33, Prost 33, Mansell 32. What's really surprised me is Rosberg, as in Nico, at 30. Fangio at 29, and Hakkinen at 26. Those are the top 10 
pole positions in Formula One of all time. Now, before you respond, let me give you the amount of entries to achieve those pole positions. So for Lewis, he did 100 and 270 races. Schumacher, 68 and 308. Senna, 65 and 162. Vettel did 57 and 262. Jimmy Clark, 33 in 73 races. Alain Prost, 33 in 202. Mansell, 32 in 91. Rosberg, 30 in 206. Mongeau, 29 in 53. <laughs> so that's quite spectacular. And Mika Hakkinen at 26 in 165 attempts. As we both know, stats do tell a story, but you can also make some pretty erroneous conclusions from those stats, correct? For instance, Fangio at almost 50%, but you know, a different era and so forth. For me, I think reliability over the last 10 years and throughout most of Lewis's career has helped him achieve this as well as, you know, he's just very fast. He's one of the best drivers we've ever had. Now, what are your thoughts on this achievement? He's had the car, right? Yep. And I think the only way to compare that top 10 list is, as you say, is by percentage pulls. Fajo, if you talk to any current F1 driver, they will say the greatest driver of all time is Fangio. It's simple. It's simple. I mean, the guy just did it. Mm-hmm. Can you compare it today? You can't compare it to today. But I do believe that. I do believe that it's a matter of percentages, and, and they're mixed up a little bit there. Clark, you know, in Clark's day, how many races there were? Uh, were there in Clark's time? I think there were 11 races a season. Yeah, right. There were always many, or much more or less than we have now, right? They're trying to get up to 25 a season. All the numbers will change and be inflated. And the point system has changed too, although that doesn't affect And on players. top of that, we've got what we've discussed in the past, which is the fact that the Armco barrier were trees. So it makes those early days of Prost, not Prost as much, mm-hmm. but Clark and Fangio just insane. Crazy. And do you think qualifying wasn't as important in the past? Or do you think that's changed or it's relatively the same or we don't know? We haven't really looked into it. I think it's always been important. I think it's always been important. And, I, and not only that, but they used to have points for pool at one point in okay. time, way back right. when. I think they should bring that back. We see also that in that list of drivers, Rosberg would have been competitive with Lewis in the same car. So he got 30 poles. So there's also that, like, who was your teammate? How competitive was your teammate in, in comparison to you in, in terms of polls as and well? And they're all skewed. They're all skewed. Yeah, I looked at Max's polls. He only has four currently. So again, that doesn't speak to his speed. It speaks to his situation and the fact that Mercedes has dominated the last, well, during his entire career. If you look at Nico's, Nico Rosberg's career mm-hmm. in F1, he spent a lot of his career in a backmarker car. So if you take a look at 30 poles to, I forget how many races you said, some 200-odd yep. races, that's a little bit different than Hamilton. And Hamilton has had you know, the fastest car basically from day one. Yeah, yeah. But he earned that position, yeah. and he did the job, and he, he kept his rides because he delivered. One of the things that always bothers me about, oh, you know, Lewis or whatever driver, A, B, or C, they got all the breaks, you know, they got into a good team right away and so forth. But 
they earn that and he has delivered. So I have no issue with him going right into McLaren because his F2 or whatever it was called when he was racing, he was spectacular in that as well. There's no issue there, but it's still quite an achievement. And it, but it does speak to the modern era of reliability and this particular time in the history of the sport with Mercedes being so dominant. We've said goodbye to a whole bunch of racers that we didn't need to say goodbye to because it's cutthroat. Right, right. And it is, you're only as good as your last race. And then if you're a Lewis Hamilton, you're only as good as your last season right. and maybe last couple of seasons. And right. then if you manage to pull off a few championships, you're there to stay. Like Vettel, for instance. Mm -hmm. Vettel, what's Vettel doing these days? But you know what? He's still there. And why is he still there? He's still there because he's a big advertising draw. And he's yep. a big sponsor draw. And that's why he's there. So, Kimmy, too. Kimmy's just does yeah. well in the races for a while and then fades back, probably because of the car. I think so. I think it's Alonso now. Is he the oldest driver in F1 at the moment? Almost if you certainly. were to throw him in the Mercedes, he would win every race. I truly believe it. Same with Alonso. But they're not going to do the old days of Senna and Prost and take the top two drivers yes. and put, it, put them in the same team. Right. No, I mean, if Bottas is out next season, I guess it would be Russell. Absolutely. And if Lewis stays. Yeah. Other things in qualifying, it was your typical session. Russell again in Q2, which again threatens Bottas's position, I think, because he's, he's taking his car and taking it beyond what it can do. Well, Technically, that's not true, but, you know, getting the maximum out of that car. Uh, Lance missed uh, Q3 by eight one-thousandths of a second, and then there was Sunoda protesting his car and swearing over the radio. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. Now that's, again, in that kind of environment, it's very charged and so forth, and I have no issue with that. He apologized. During your actual racing, did you see anyone have a massive fit of anger or frustration or anything like that? All the time. Oh, yeah? What about yourself? All the time. But hey, they're, they're different. The only time I did it, and it surprised me because I'm a pretty passive person, was mm -hmm. when I got punted and rolled. And it was the other driver's fault. And I was yep. ready to rip his limbs off. I was so angry, and I had to be held back by the marshal. Yes. And that's the only time in my whole life I've ever been like that. Mm. Well, yeah. it's interesting because at you know this particular time in history with the pandemic and so forth, and everyone wound up in and all that, I found myself having utterly bizarre thoughts from time to time that you have to bring yourself back from. But in such a charged environment, full of adrenaline and so forth, it's just inevitable. It's just if you do it over and over again all the time and take it too extreme, then it can get annoying. But he apologized, and, and they're going to move on. Well, it's entertaining in NASCAR and entertaining in IndyCar, and they don't mind right. it there, but not in right. one. What do you think of Marzipan? Yeah, he's about half a second on average behind Schumacher in terms of qualifying, and then in the races even further back. I always have a little bit of a problem judging drivers in terrible cars because I know that if you're uncomfortable with one element of it, and it's also a terrible car, you can lose so much time. So at this point, I'm not ready to say much about it. I would be concerned if I were Haas, but I wouldn't be concerned beyond, I wouldn't be very afraid of what's going to happen to him or what are your thoughts? So it's just a little bit too early, you think? Yeah, I think it's just a little too early. 
I'm constantly comparing team drivers against each other, and he just seems like he's horrifically slow, consistently. Mm-hmm. And do you think that is overdriving rather than, because Schumacher seems to be a smooth driver from what I can tell, but again, it's very difficult. You, we don't see much of them and so forth, but we, he had that one spin during the safety car lap last week, but... Beyond that, he's been pretty regular. So is it a case of Schumacher doing his thing where he grows into it and speeds up as he goes along, whereas Mazepin may be the opposite way where he's just throwing everything at it and not understanding the car yet? Which I think he's overdriving it. Yeah, which is the mind issue where I think the best drivers, especially the ones who are that type of driver who can just wring the neck out of a car, if they don't have the mind to understand what they're doing at the same time, they're not going to get very far because you can't exist in this level of motorsport on just talent alone. You have to have everything to succeed. But he's just started his career in F1, so I'm willing to give him some time. Anything else about qualifying? I don't think so. It was nice to see Danny Ricardo getting some speed, and that was That's nice true. to see. Yeah. He needed that. Yes, he did. And... Sort of related to what we just discussed, right? Where he's had to find his feet in the McLaren. So Mazepin has to find his feet in the Haas. Whether he does or not, we'll see. But at the present time, he he isn't there yet. No. And I'm sorry I interrupted you. You were about to say something else. And hopefully that's the same situation with Carlos Sainz, because I'm I'm hoping that he steps up to the plate as well. Yeah. Did look Mm -hmm. pretty good first couple of races, Mm -hmm. but not so the last two. All right, so let's talk about the race. There were the Alpines were sorry. showing incredible promise in qualifying and practice, and that all seemed to go away. Yes, and did they report any like massive temperature changes or like why that would happen? Don't know. I don't Still don't know. That. Haven't right. heard anything. And I found it interesting that they announced that 27 of the 30 wins at this circuit were from the front row. So kind of used to boring races from Barcelona, but this time we had a pretty interesting race because of some strategy decisions. And for once, when Lewis was behind Max, I actually thought he's actually going to be able to pass him this time instead of falling slowly back. He just seemed to be able to stay within a certain distance and then close it whenever he wanted. So I really enjoyed watching them fight each other. And although it was largely strategic with pit stops, Max pitted without informing his team. So there was a slight delay there. And then we had that decision with Mercedes deciding to pit Lewis twice and it all worked out very well. And Red Bull were out strategized big time in this race. And going back to what I said last race with I'm thinking Mercedes is going to get the upper hand, in in terms of Lewis at least. Again, the team and Lewis beat Max and Red Bull this time, and it was pretty exciting for me. What did you think of that whole battle? I looked at it and thought, why didn't they just bring Max in right then? Yes, yeah. And if they brought him in right then, then we would have had some nice dicing and we wouldn't have had that huge gap. Right. But to watch Lewis put on a masterclass, I learned a lot. You know, I learned a lot mm-hmm. in... As a matter of fact, Lewis said he learned a lot in the press conference about Max and about Max's car. And when asked what he learned, he said, well, yeah. Right. In other words, I'm not telling you what I learned. 
but Max is a an early breaker and Lewis is a late breaker. And if you watched those guys ring their cars out, it really showed how incredible Lewis is and the fact that Max has to give that thing everything it's got through the corner. As we all know, the fastest way around a track is to get back on the power as soon as you can on the straight. In other words, enter the corner slow and come out fast. And that's what Max does to a T, whereas Lewis carries the speed into the corner more. But it was interesting watching that because I never really noticed that before, to the same degree. I also noticed, at least at this circuit, that we saw the back end slipping a lot more than we usually <laughs> do. Like It looked like a lot of effort was going into driving the cars, whereas some of the races you watch it and it looks like they're just on a Sunday drive or something. Because they probably are on a Sunday drive. Right, because preservation and all that kind of thing too, right? They have to manage fuel. They have to manage their tires. And you know yes. what? I've got my... I've got my three-second lead, so I'm not in DRS, so Yahoo, let's go. And, yep. you know, let's just manage the lead. And I think we see a lot more of that than is ever let on. Right, right. Yeah, it's, it was wrenching in commentary that Max and Lewis were just going away from everyone yeah. and didn't seem to be doing that type of preservation. Or to me, it's just they can do it better than the others because they're still preserving their tires, but they just happen to get more speed out of doing it while they're doing that at the same time. And that's true across all motor racing disciplines. When you see people who can manage their tires, get the most out of them, and even get a lot out of them when they're slipping and sliding where other drivers can't, it makes a massive difference. For instance, Leclerc passed Valtteri at turn three, very nice pass. And seven seconds later, he was six, sorry, six laps into it, he was seven seconds behind Lewis. And because Valtteri was behind Leclerc, Valtteri lost any chance of getting to the top two, at least. Very important to be as aggressive as possible and defend your position and not give up anything at the start of the race because it just affects you so much. But again, this time when I saw Lewis behind Max, I thought, he looks like he's going to be able to pass him. He looks like he's going to be able to stay with him and pass him. And that's what happened. So I was very, very happy with that. They both had great start. They both yes. had wonderful starts, and Lewis was on the dirty side, and mm -hmm. that's the only reason he had it. And smart of him to do what he did at the start. Very smart. Yeah. He could have gotten his elbows out if he wanted to, and he didn't. Right. We had another safety car, which, have we had one at every race now? I can't even recall. We've had frequent safety cars. We had one at lap eight. This time, didn't really make much of a difference didn't really mess up the order all that much or anything. It was so early in the in the race, it really didn't make any difference. They, they hadn't blown apart yeah, yet. Yeah, it was only a couple one, laps too. Yeah, yeah. But having said that, I am still, to this day, I don't know what you think about this. I don't like that they eliminated aggregate timing years ago. I'm reminded of Mansell coming back for three races or two races after IndyCar, and he raced Jean Alesi at Suzuka, and mm. Alesi kept him behind him the entire race, and then at the last lap, he let him by, and Mansell ran up to the podium, and Jean reminded him that, yeah, I let you by me on the track, but I had this amount of time aggregate from the safety car, so I'm going up yes. there, you're not. <laughs> yes. And because Mansell was used to no aggregate timing in IndyCar already because he'd been there for a year and a half or two years. So the reason they eliminated it was confusing to people. And I understand that. But 
It really bothers me that you can have, say, 40 laps into a race and you can have a 30-second lead. Someone does something unusual or whatever, safety car comes and all your effort is eliminated. But I've learned to live with it. So <laughs> I don't know if you ever had any opinion on, on that. They have that in every form of racing. They, you know, where, where, you know, all of a sudden there's a, a yellow flag and everybody bunches up again. It's not just F1. It, it's IMSA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sort of reminded me of our little discussion about, well, why don't I watch NASCAR and IndyCar? Because they finish close to each other. And the difference is they finish close to each other because of so many safety cars and flags and so forth. <laughs> Whereas in MotoGP, That's true. that is not the case. They finish because they race that way. So this is just sort of my sort of thing about aggregate timing was, well, they eliminated it because it's too confusing and I've come to accept it, but it's still a little bit of a bother to me. But anyways, that's just an aside. We did see some pretty good passes, though. We had Stroll over Alonso, Leclerc, as I mentioned, passing Valtteri at turn three, Alonso over Giovinazzi, and then Vettel over Giovinazzi. Perez on Ricardo. And again, we had Norris letting Ricardo pass after his late stop. And no issue there. Is this happening more frequently where we're just seeing team orders every race? Or am I just, have I just not noticed? I think it's always been there. I don't think it's any greater now than it has been in the past. I think that the people behind the mic- microphone are a little bit quieter about mm-hmm. it. I think they're managing it. I think they're managing it behind the scenes. I don't think Checo has as good a car as as at max and i don't think that i think that goes through the whole field i think the number two driver isn't getting the upgrade i think that they are getting the engineering and the and the chance to be out front and if they are out front my god that means they're really fast it's always been that way with red bull i think it's been that way with every team you've got to know their team orders you've got to know that they've got different plans we watched docs a few years ago where they you know went into the season and said who's ever into the corner first, they get first choice. And yeah, we aren't going to send anybody by you. It's your opportunity to win the race. They aren't going to tell us that during the season. That's always going to be with us. I don't have a problem with that. Plus, I think it's sort of an issue only when it's sort of, hey, Felipe, Alonso is faster than you kind of thing, where it's like a direct manipulation, not based on the competitiveness of each driver, but their position in the championship or something like that. I really liked all the dicing. There is so much wonderful dicing. Yeah, the and coverage was they, better of the dicing too, wasn't oh, it? Yes, it was yes. wonderful. And I have to say that there were no delays during this broadcast. So I wonder if each country they go to has slightly different issues or something that may affect the broadcast. But in terms of coverage, they must have the same directors and production staff go to every country to keep it consistent, I would think. So I don't know if they've just updated their, their coverage or something, but it was very, very, very much improved this time. Either that or there were enough complaints of the last one. Right. Speaking of which, one of our wonderful subscribers, Angus, he has a comment about our last about the last race and our sprint race ideas. He's saying, add sprinklers to corners, turn them on randomly at <laughs> random corners for various random lengths of time throughout the race, unannounced. Anywhere from zero to six occurrences during a race. Sprinklers are controlled by computer-generated random algorithm, so no one knows when, where, or how many occurrences. Now, this is very much another wildcard type of idea. And I just, thing I thought about instantly was, you know, in the past where the winning driver would have the wreath around his neck, 
So this, if this kind of plan was implemented, we'd have, you know, garden hose companies sponsoring F1. So we'd have like a garden hose wreath around the driver's neck, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but I like it. I think it's a good idea. Do you? Yeah. Oh yeah. I think that'd be amazing. It's, but then I've always liked the rain. You know, it really separates the, the men from the boys. Right. I don't mind it. I just, again, I'm on the, it's solving a problem in a way that doesn't actually solve the issues that they're trying to solve. It's a temporary kind of band-aid kind of thing. So, but it was very amusing and, you know, it shows that people are looking for, for ways to improve the show. Well, good for Angus. Yeah. So that was interesting. Mm -hmm. Other than that though, I don't have too much more to say about this other than it was a great race and very enjoyable and very refreshing to see this compared to the first three races, at least for me. I, yeah, absolutely. And I can't wait for Monaco. Monaco always sort of revives my passion about Grand Prix racing. Right. I will say that Russell was in 10th at 10 laps from the end of the race, and then he fell back pretty much inevitably, mm-hmm. I would think. That AWS pit stop info, you, remember, you know where they say X amount of percentage of overtaking the driver in front, depending on undercuts or overcuts? That did highlight the fact that Max didn't come in when Lewis came in or whatever it was. I wonder if the teams ever look at that or they all, that data is taken from the teams anyways, or does Amazon just calculate it based on some algorithms they've made? But it was pretty inaccurate pretty quickly. I guess that's because everything's changing during the race or so forth. But I noticed that a little bit more this time. As for my driver of the day, I'm having a really hard time with this. I'm kind of leaning towards I think that's pretty much the obvious one. He just got everything he could out of that car. And again, his team helped him as well. I found it interesting that Max made his own decision and Lewis let his team make the decision. And also Lewis said after the race that he was unsure about his team's decision, but he did it anyways. Any thoughts on that? Because the other ones I had was Leclerc and Ricciardo. Ricciardo, because he improved so much compared to what he had been doing. Leclerc, because he, he got up there. He, again, he was sort of like the best of the rest, but I never saw him. You know, we didn't see much of Leclerc, so he's kind of isolated. Well, we saw him when he was holding back Bottas. As far as I know, that the call-in on the show, they picked Max as the driver of the day, and mm. I would pick Gasly. I think Gasly's recovery was silent, not covered that well, but Boy, did he ever hammer up through the the field with a relatively doggy car. And I think that that's pretty impressive. You know, where did did his teammate finish? Gasly and Alfa Torre ended up, what, in the points, 10th. And And that was with the penalty too, right? He had that five-second penalty for starting over his pit, sorry, his uh, starting grid area. And as Martin said in the coverage, you can't see the lines when you're sitting in the car. Mm. So, you know what? Good for him. Gasly is my, my driver of the day for sure. Yeah, and I think that Esteban Ocon is coming along a little bit, isn't he? I, he's, he's doing as well as he could, it looks like, from, from that car. And with Alonso, he finished down in 17th, Ocon 9th. But is another case of Alonso just needs more time as well with that car? Same, similar to Ricardo and Mazepin. Alonso came out of the gate really well in the first races. Exactly. Yeah, he's very up and down, which is unusual for him. But 
again, we have to be fair to him. He's been out of the sport for a couple of years. And as we know, every time we see someone re-enter, it's not just instant pick up where you left off type of thing. I was heartbroken when Ocon did not get the, the seat that Val took. And Ocon ended up out in the street without a ride. And he was my golden boy. And when he was racing, I thought, this kid's just awesome. If there's anybody that can destroy Lewis, it's going to be Ocon. And oh, then yeah? he lost his seat. Yeah. Mm. So for him to come back and do what he's doing with somebody of the caliber of Alonso, uh, yeah. yeah, he's... He's golden. Yeah, I'd say for the first time in a while that we have a whole bunch of newer to, not necessarily new to the sport, but they've been here for three or four years, drivers that are quite promising and quite, like there's a good future going forth with these drivers, I think. A whole bunch of them. Yeah. To go through the grid, how, how long is Hamilton going to last? How many more seasons will he race? Well, he's going for his eighth championship this season, right? Yes. To top Michael's number. And it's hard to say where he'll go after this, if he'll stay or move on to his other interests. It's quite possible. Max has got lots of time. Valtteri, Valtteri not we'll, so much. Like, do you think he'll move to another so team or? No, I think he'll disappear. Right. Do you think he'll go to another sport then? Another like IndyCar or rallying or something? I think he'll get a job at 7-Eleven. <laughs> I think he's done. You know, it's now funny we, because... Like, I hate to be cruel to, to drivers, but on Mark Priestley's channel, you'll see comments like Valtteri to speedwalking, Valtteri <laughs> to this and that, because it's just been an ongoing conversation. He's in the best car, and he does have wins and pole positions, but Lewis is so much better. And you've got Chaz Leclerc. Leclerc will be around for a while, right? Yep. We've got Checo. Sergio, I don't, I'm not so sure about. What do you think? No, I think he's got a few years left of it, left in him, though. I think that after his Red Bull two seasons, uh, yeah, we might not Danny? see him. Danny, kind of hard to say, because he's, he's been in the sport for quite a while. But he's young. And but he's young, he's, and he's got he's promise. He definitely deserves to be there, but we'll see how that goes. Carlos, I think, is, you mentioned earlier that he has to improve. So Lando, we already know about. Esteban... Pierre, that's good. Lance, I'm not too sure about. Kimmy, I don't think he's going to be long, much much longer. Sebastian, same thing. George will be around. Does Giovinazzi bring money? Antonio Giovinazzi, no idea. He must bring something, though. <laughs> Latifi, I have my doubts. I think Stroll's around for a while. Oh, sorry? Stroll's going to be around for a while. That's true, yeah. Fernando, depends on how he feels. Mick, probably a while. Nikita, maybe not. Yuki, I think, has a lot of potential. I think that Alonso is good for at least three years. This and two more. I don't think he'll hang around if he doesn't have a front-running car. He had planned to come back this year because of the new formula, and it didn't happen. It got delayed because of the pandemic. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm thinking four for him. A couple seasons at Alpine, and then That's maybe correct. two yeah. seasons still there or somewhere else. Yes. And those new rules have ground effects back. That's supposed to encourage closer racing. On another note, I had an interesting conversation with a friend of mine who is an automotive journalist, and he was saying how he doesn't have great faith in electric vehicles. He thinks that the new clean fuel is going to be the, the rage and going to take over because we already have the infrastructure for it. We already have fuel pumps everywhere, and it switch to clean fuel is a no-brainer. And we saw that happen with unleaded fuel. So if we can make cleaner fuel, hey, 
you never that's know. what Porsche and Volkswagen and others are kind of interested in in terms of their F1 ventures if they go into it sort of a, a new formula for fuel as well but I understand what you're saying I think ultimately electric will be the way or hydrogen but you also have to generate all the power for all those electric charging units right without an infrastructure it's very hard to implement that at the moment so there's going to be a lot of transitions how would you rate the race I put it about an eight I love watching the charge. I love the, what was it, 23 seconds, 24 seconds? I, I don't, I can't remember exactly what the gap was that got filled. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Staggering. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I was kind of surprised by that because, again, if Barcelona is traditionally not the greatest circuit, but this one had a lot of passes. And I wonder if, I, re- I remember mentioning last week that they hadn't done any practice here where they usually yeah. do preseason testing at this circuit. So I wonder if that was a factor as well. But yeah, great race. Best of the season so far. And then next up is Monaco, which can have great races and which can have processional races. So we'll see how that goes. But you're looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. It's just such a... In downhill racing, we we have Kitzbühel that is just epic and Mm -hmm. does not belong in this world because it's just so bloody dangerous. It's frightening, isn't it? And then we have Monaco, and I don't think anybody can ever imagine, including me, could ever imagine what it would be like to driving to drive a, a modern day F1 car around the streets of Monaco like that, where they are scrubbing the walls and at that kind of rate, it's just nuts. Yes, <laughs> it's one of the races that I would like to go to because of the echoing of the cars in that kind of spot, that sort of confined spot in the mountains and so forth. I heard it sounds pretty amazing. (laughs) So that would be really cool to experience. I was there the week after the race and walked. Oh, you were? Yeah. And there was still rubber on the road from the race. How steep is it? Very hard because you mentioned skiing and it's always hard for me to understand how steep the ski hills are on, in coverage until certain angles that often flash up for a few seconds and you go, holy, my God, that's extremely steep. So, you know, what's, what's the climb up in Monaco like? Do you remember? It's rapidly changing. Like it's, it's, it's not just mm. the, the degree of, of the slope, it's how quickly it changes, which is just wonderful. Right. Right. Street course. In the mountains, you know, by yeah. the ocean, it's just absolutely steep. Done. Your GT3 racing days, was it always on circuits? Yes. Yes. Okay. Right. Was there ever any talk about street races for that kind of racing, or is it just not practical? Yeah, there were, there were support races for the Molson Indy and the Canadian GP, but I didn't enter it. Right. Right. Okay. All right. Well, I think that's it for this race, and we look forward to Monaco, and thanks for the discussion, John. Thanks, Rob. See you next race. Bye. Bye.